hello, taquistas. This is Victor Landa, your host of the 18 podcast, where what we try to do is to say as much as we can with as much substance as we can in as little time as possible, because we know that you got a lot to do. And, uh, you know, we don't want to be a burden on your time. But at the same uh, time, we, we understand that there's a lot that's going on in these Trumpian days. And we're trying to parse all the different things and see if we can find some explanations and try and do some analysis. And with that in mind, the latest thing that uh, caught our attention was this phone call between Donald Trump and President Enrique Peña Nieto, where each side said, oh, no, it was a wonderful, very constructive uh, conversation. And yet there have been leaks on both sides, on the Mexican side and on the U.S. side that have been telling us that, no, it really wasn't cordial. And in fact, it was leaked that Donald Trump told Enrique Peña Nieto that if he didn't get his act together, that he would be sending U.S. troops into Mexico. Now, knowing Trump, that was probably just an off-the-cuff, unrehearsed remark. But that kind of stuff has implications. So we're trying to figure out what those implications are. And in uh, trying to figure out who the best person was to talk to us about it, you know, we called former ambassador Tony Garza, Antonio Garza, who now lives in Mexico City. And one of the reasons we called him and not somebody else is everybody else that we thought of is in Washington. They're D.C. based. And I really wanted to get an outside the beltway, outside D.C. point of view, and especially a point of view from somebody in Mexico. And uh, Ambassador Garza is in Mexico. He lives there. He has very deep ties there. And we wanted to see what he was seeing in Mexico, what he could tell us, what he was hearing. Because there's always two sides of the story, right? And uh, the idea that we have is to try and get to the truth, what really happened, what really is at stake, and what really lies ahead. So we reached out to the, uh, to the uh, ambassador, and uh, he was... Uh, has had time to talk to us, and he was very cordial, and we spent some time talking. He's been a fan of what we've been doing at New Stock now for a long time, so uh, he was very open, uh, and uh, we had a really good conversation trying to dissect this Trumpian moment of so many others. So with that said, let's uh, go ahead and uh, roll the tape, as they say. This is our conversation with Ambassador Tony Garza, who is uh, at the present moment in Mexico City. So, Ambassador, thank you very much for taking time to be on our park, uh, podcast this morning. Uh, you are in Mexico City right now, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually spending about four, four and a half days a week here. And uh, most weekends there in San Antonio with my with my wife. So, I, I guess in every sense of the word, I'm uh, in two places at one time, Mexico yeah. City and Texas. So, it's, so uh, And it's easy. It's an easy commute. Yeah, it is. It's actually very quick. I've, I've made that flight several times, yeah. and it doesn't take long at all. Now, for, for our uh, no. listeners, if, if they were sitting next to you looking out the window, what would they be seeing? Well, today it's a little hazy. They, they would be seeing uh, a very vibrant city, uh, mid-70s degrees temperature. If you look out the, uh, the backside of my office, if the day were clear, you could see the uh, volcanoes in the horizon. Uh, but really, I think what you would appreciate here in Mexico City is that it's it's it, the the life, the energy, uh, and really increasingly it characterizes one of the you know one of the top cities in the world. Uh, and so I, I you know I encourage people uh, you know they, from Texas, but really across the United States, if you really want to get a better appreciation for Mexico, spend some time on the ground uh, first in Mexico City, and then if you can get out to you know the the Yucatan or Oaxaca or you know th- there's a lot of there's a lot of things to see and appreciate here in Mexico. But uh, I spend most of my time right here in Mexico City. 
And I'm sure the buzz right now uh, in Mexico, is, as it is here, is this uh, uh, phone conversation be between uh, Enrique Peña Nieto and Donald Trump and what was said and what might not have been said. What, what are you hearing over there? Well, you know, uh, curiously, I was at a dinner last night with uh, uh, a group that has been very intimately involved with the discussions and the negotiation of trade trade agreements. Uh, and it was interesting that we were having the conversation, sort of, the, you know, following the arc of the, of the relationship going back to the campaign. That that sense during the transition that perhaps uh, the campaign rhetoric would be left. Uh, uh, in, in in the campaign cycle, uh, trying to read, you know, what the transition meant. You always have a certain amount of under, uh, uncertainty because when you have a, a change in administration, whether it be in Mexico or, or, or the United States. But this was a little bit more than the typical uncertainty. And then when you had that back and forth last week, uh, the anticipation that uh, two very high-level Mexican officials would be in Washington, and they were greeted by uh, President Trump's announcement that a wall would be built. Yeah. And then as a prelude to the president going down there, the president, uh, Trump, tweeting, uh, and Mexico will pay for the wall. And so you had this tension that that many in Mexico had hoped had been left behind and that there would be a real negotiation. But interestingly, in the wake of the phone call, and there was uh, some some suggestion, although I don't think there's actually a transcript of the call out there or recording, but there's some suggestion that, that uh, Enrique Peña Nieto wasn't as strong as he might have been or that uh, President Trump was a bit more blustery than, than, than he should have been. Uh, but then you had the call with the Australian prime minister last night, and, and, and that, there's where I get to my point. The Mexicans at the table said, well, maybe this call wasn't so bad because it went a lot worse with the Australian. <laughs> so it's almost as though minute by minute we, we, we are establishing new benchmarks for uh, expectations because I don't think I, – I, I don't want to go as far as say acceptable, but expectations of what – uh, what kind of uh, conversations that we're going to have with with traditional allies and trading partners? Well, you know, I think I would go ahead and say acceptable because it's, it seems like what the President Trump is doing, he keeps lowering the standard. So when he does something that would be you know really bad or despicable in any normal circumstance, we say, oh, well, that's okay. At least it wasn't that bad, and and that seems to be what's <laughs> happening. And, and and I think that is a lowering of standard uh, of a standard of and as you say correctly of expectations. Um, and and what I thought was really interesting was the word that was coming from both the White House and Los Pinos that it was uh, a cordial, constructive uh, type of conversation that was looking toward the future. You know, the usual stuff that you would imagine comes from um, the the highest levels of of government. Um, but then you get these yeah. leaks, yeah. Right? Although. You, you, yeah, you get these leaks. What's interesting is, uh, and I know you follow this for many, many years, uh, cordial is about the uh, – that that is the the mildest way to, to diplomatically say, well, it wasn't bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's there's a whole – And so yeah. cordial is, hard, is, is hardly one of these really kind of uh, laudatory characterizations. And and I think you – know, look, look in the wake of what what this last year year and a half uh has has uh meant for Mexico in terms of the object of the you know the very harsh campaign rhetoric uh the transition that was bumpy uh 
you know, and the, the the impact on the peso, essentially, you know, you've had a 15, 20% devaluation. Which you've is big. Yeah. Five inst- yeah, you've had five interest rate hikes from the uh, central bank here. GD, uh, you know, uh, growth projection for the country have been downgraded. So it, it's, uh, you know, uh, that they had a cordial conversation. You know, you, you might say that's a net positive. Uh, I think going forward is going to be uh, very interesting uh, because we've gone from this period where I think Mexican leadership was uh, divided on the approach to one now, right now where you're seeing a country very united, at least on this one issue, of of having to to be firm but fair uh, with the United States, uh-huh. uh, establishing some 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 clear, acceptable, not acceptable parameters to the negotiation. Uh, they filed yesterday their 90-day uh, notice of consultation with their own private sector. Uh, so, so I think there's more resolve in the country and more of a recognition that NAFTA has been very good. But if there were a time post NAFTA, what would it mean for Mexico? You know, how 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 would that impact the country? And I'll tell you what I was hearing last night that was curiously uh, actually very encouraging. Uh, a number of these were Mexican leaders uh, at the table that said, "Listen." NAFTA allowed us to continue to grow in spite of not addressing some very fundamental issues of rule of law, uh, uh, safety, and corruption in our country. Perhaps without NAFTA, we would realize that growth would only be possible if we addressed issues of rule of law, safety, and corruption. And that's an interesting take on it, Victor. That, I, I think that's a, uh, that's a recognition that Sure, we are we are a free trading country here in Mexico. We have 46, 44, 45, 46 agreements with uh, with other countries, but we have some real challenges uh, internally that, if addressed, would make us more competitive. That's I think that's a really interesting take because um, this comes I think in, at a time when because of Trump. Uh, I feel some the the natural Mexican nationalism that seems to be there all the time sort of uh, grow. It, it, it's like sprouting wings, yeah. right? Uh, and especially in light of, of well, you know Trump saying uh, if if it's true that that you know he was going to send troops into Mexico, you know that that's I think that just serves that cause even more. And it seems to make Mexicans kind of more introspective, like wanting to rely more on well, themselves. At least that, that's you know, that's you, how you, I see it. You, you, you make a very good point, and uh, this is one of the things that that has concerned me. You know, it it, it has taken certainly most of my lifetime uh, to see this country move from the traditional nationalism, uh, the I, I would say anti anti gringo, for lack of a bit you know better characterization. No, that is a good way or, to say it. And to move towards a sense, and certainly NAFTA helped a lot, that we were partners, that we would be more respectful, that the tone of our disagreements would be that which which you uh, would assume with a very important relationship. Uh, and a lot of that goodwill, that, 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 that sense of respect, regard that had been built up over a quarter of a century uh, has dissipated. And that's unfortunate. Because while you, you can say we're not quite in crisis, when you are in crisis, it's much easier to address when you are dealing with an ally, a friend, and a neighbor that you have a respectful tone and a deep bank of goodwill. 
And I think that has uh, we we have seen a, a great deal of that uh, evaporate. So that would be to your point. I think it's true. A lot of the goodwill has dissipated over the course of this uh, these last several months and year. And I think that's very unfortunate. Yeah, it the is. The second point uh-huh. on your on your on your comment about uh, President Trump's uh, uh, comment about sending troops into Mexico to deal with this, he said, "Bad hombres." Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, you can interpret that a lot of ways, and obviously uh, in Mexico it's interpreted one way because of the history that we have uh, with this country. I mean, as recently as the early 1900s, the Marines in Veracruz and this sort of thing. But, but I think what it what it really suggests is a fundamental misunderstanding of the history of the two countries. Exactly. I mean, it may have said it may have said, been said by by President Trump very, you know, just kind of an offhand, uh, you know, intended to be constructive, although with a with a bit of a of, of a needle in there. If you can't take care of them, I got these these troops that can do it. But I think what it really suggested was a very fundamental misunderstanding of the relationship. And so I, that all, that also is troubling. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, the, uh, any president, whether it be President Trump or any of his predecessors, you can't expect them to have, uh, you know, perfect knowledge of every country in the world. But you do expect that they would surround them, say, themselves with people and, and get these calls staffed up well so that before they step into the call, they have a good sense of, uh, uh, kind of the cultural references in that country that they're uh, with which they're having a conversation. Yeah, and that speaks to the disorganization or the disorganized way that the early White House has uh, has has been seeing, at least through the reports that I've read in the media, that uh, yeah. they're having a really hard time uh, getting a hold of the way things are supposed to be working. Well, there's still a lot of you know, there's as I say, there's still a lot of uh, empty chairs. I was encouraged to see, uh, you know, Rex Tillerson, uh, Secretary now Secretary Tillerson, take the oath this morning, and in his comments to the State Department, uh, you know, he, 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 Rex Tillerson is a man of impeccable integrity, very sound judgment, and a Texan with a long time and long standing appreciation for all that Mexico is, and so I'm hopeful that with him at State, you'll have a, a strong voice. Or certainly a, another voice with, that the uh, president will be listening to on these sorts of issues. Yeah, well, he comes with a lot of baggage, at, at least in, in, in on the on the left side of the aisle, right? That that there there's a lot of uh, opposition to to Tillerson and and his uh, not even close. I mean, it's like he is uh, the oil industry. So that that's always seen by by a big chunk of the people in the United States as as not a good thing. But uh, but he is well, there. But you. Yeah, but but you look at you know Exxon, this enormous company that has operated, in, quite frankly, I think in more countries than the State Department. Yeah, and and they they have been uh, certainly by industry standards progressive on climate change. Uh, Rex has been progressive on issues in his uh, time and leadership at the Boy Scouts. Uh, he has this uh, ability, I think, to ha- seek broad uh, input. And and is is very good about that. And then moving forward, once he makes a decision, so I'm actually very encouraged by this choice. I think the the opposition was largely predicated on on the uh, relationship that he uh, has had with with the Russian president uh, Vladimir Putin. Correct. And so the, the, a lot of the opposition came from there. But listen, if you're if you're a big oil company, 
you're going to be doing business in parts of the world where we may not enjoy a good relationship or we may have somewhat of an adversarial type uh a relationship with with the leadership in that country, uh, and the fact that he, you know, I guarantee he didn't cut bad deals for Exxon, uh, so that means he's quite capable of negotiating with the toughest uh, leaders in the world. And in that sense, I think we should take some, uh, we should be encouraged. Now, b- before we go, uh, there are a couple of things that, that there is going to be uh, another phone call between Peña Nieto and uh, Trump eventually, uh, and there is going to be there are yeah. going to be meetings. I mean, they're, they're, they have to happen. Uh, and I'm looking at this from Mexico's side, right? What does Mexico have to put on okay. the table for negotiations? And and what I've heard is there is the idea of immigration, that Mexico does a lot to stop immigrants that are coming from Central America, that yeah. they might put that on the table. And then there's the idea of the, the gun trafficking going into Mexico and, and having that be uh, a, a leverage for negotiations as well. Uh, what else do you think uh, does Mexico have and what can the United States bring forward to a negotiation like that? Well, you know, because you made uh, you you made the points that I've been trying to make, and they speak to context. There has been, I think, a disproportionate focus on the economic aspects of the relationship, in particular the trade deficit. And and one, I think, the in economic terms, the relationship has been actually very good for both countries. Even when you look at that trade deficit. If you look and you drill down in that number a bit, you realize that while certainly Mexico is, is you know, 80% of their exports end up in the United States, a significant per- percent of that export has U.S. product. So even there, I think that, that $60 billion deficit number that's bandied about is a little skewed. But stepping back from just the economics, in order to give the relationship more context, I think we in the United States – have got to appreciate that we have a, a a very collaborative relationship with Mexico on counterterrorism, on law enforcement, on immigration. You mentioned uh, the uh, Central Americans moving up through Mexico and into the United States. We we have a very uh, uh, full relationship outside the economic. So I think what Mexico has has got to do is first work towards giving the relationship more context other than economic, and then. In terms of moving forward in the negotiation, at the end of this 90-day period of consultation that they're having within the country, they have to, I think, take the initiative and, and, and say to the people on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the table in this negotiation, here here are the things that we that we we are willing to negotiate around, whether it's rules of origin, the economic stuff related to NAFTA, rules of origin, or a couple of other issues. Mm-hmm. These are these these are our, these are our issues. These are our non-starters. The wall and payment. This is a non-starter. Let's take it off the table because it's it's simply something that is not part of a trade agreement. And then let's look at these other issues in the context of, of our cooperation. How important are these to you, United States? And and can we can can we get a more holistic look at the at, at the relationship? Because if all we're going to do is is drill down on a trade agreement, I don't think that gives a relationship proper context. So I think going forward, Mexico one has to be clear. On its uh, on what they're willing to negotiate and not negotiate. Second, I think the 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 the, the notion of timelines is important because the longer this goes on, the more uncertainty that you have for Mexico, and the and the more adverse the impact is on the investment climate, and the currency. And third, and this is probably the most critical point, they have to make it very clear not only to uh, to to the United States but to the people in Mexico that they're willing to walk away. 
In other words, that there will be life after NAFTA if that is ultimately where this comes down. And so I, I think it's, again, three points. Clear terms in term, uh, as to what can be negotiated from their perspective. And, and that, you know, that gets worked out with, with, with the United States. Second, timelines for the negotiations. And third, the ultimate leverage is the ability to walk away. And I think from the Trump side of the equation, there has to be a lot of homework that needs to be done. They, they really need to brush up on the relationship and understand who it is that they're talking to across the table, because I think that's missing right now. Well, you, I, I think, look, in all fairness, you know, you're, you're 13 days into a new administration. I, I think trying to get these meetings last week and having them set up uh, kind of hurriedly uh, was a little premature. Uh, you had two ministers, the, 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 the Mexican foreign minister and the Mexican commerce minister, traveling to Washington. Before you have that high level of meeting, typically you have a very good sense of the issues being framed. So I, I think that was premature. And then typically before you have the president's meeting, you, ha- you have very nearly uh, an agreement. And so I, th- I think there was a rush to have these meetings, this, this, uh, this, this you know, this this anxiety about what was going to happen, and they tried to rush into meetings, both sides. Now that the meeting has been canceled, almost paradoxically, because I think that was good, because it'll allow for you know some settling of the waters and some framing of the issues. Well, that's uh, hopefully looking forward that that, that is what's going to happen. My my instinct is that we're going to be talking again, because I think... Uh, if, if, <laughs> well, if, I hope so, because <laughs> I'm a... Because, as, as I mentioned to you, I am a uh, one of one of your early taquistas, so I do hope to be talking again. Oh no, definitely, because I know that this subject is going to give us more to talk about, and uh, uh, and and I think it's going to be surprising in some points, just because that's the way it has been, and because that's what seems to be Trump's way of doing things is just by by if not shocked, then yeah. just surprise. So uh, it's he, he will well, give us something yeah. to talk about. But Victor, make sure you get your tamales today. I know you're in San Antonio, but it's still the Feast of the Candelaria. So it's, oh, that's it's, right. Uh, it is the Feast of the Candelaria. <laughs> I have to remember who got the little the the the, the baby. So so that the, the little yeah the little baby back on uh, yeah on but, the sixth. Uh, yeah. I, I I I do appreciate all you do, and uh, I, I look forward to talking to you again. I'm looking forward to uh, to it uh, as well, Ambassador. And uh, I know you've got a lot to oh. do, so we'll uh, let, let you go on with your day. And uh, and thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. Thanks. Thanks, andale. Abrazos. Take care. Igualmente. Hasta luego. You know, that leaves a lot to be asked. That conversation was was satisfying. It was deep. But always in conversations like this, there are more questions that need to be followed up on. And that's why one of the reasons that I asked that maybe we could be going back to him and asking him other questions, partly because I know that there's going to be more to talk about because Trump is not going to let up because he is who he is and he's going to be saying stuff and really giving giving us uh, something to talk about. And he is well-placed in Mexico to give us a perspective of what's happening over there. So we're going to bring, be bringing him back, but also be uh, asking a lot of the questions that now I have in, in, in my mind um, because this isn't it really as cut and dry as it seems. This isn't simple. And uh, what we try to do is get to the truth. We try and get to exactly what is going on and try and dissect it and figure out what all the moving parts are. With that said, a little bit of housekeeping. If you haven't subscribed to the Latino Daily, please do so. Uh, you can go to the News Taco website and there's a, a, a box on the upper right-hand side that says uh, subscribe to the Latino Daily. You click there and you subscribe. Or you can go to the News Taco Facebook page and there's a blue button that says sign up. 
uh, click there and sign up and I will be sending you the Latino Daily Morning Newsletter that I write every morning. And also, if you guys have uh, caught me on Facebook, I do live uh, updates at 6.30 in the morning, but they, they live on Facebook uh, forever. <laughs> which is wonderful and scary all at the same time. But you can catch you can catch what we have to say there as well. And it's uh, all about having a, an, an authentic and true uh, story of the Latinos in the United States. Uh, our, our goal is to change the Latino US Latino narrative. Our goal is to be authentic and uh, to, to provide a space for positive change. There's a lot of changes. Speaking of, changes coming to New Stock, and we're going to keep you uh, posted on that. So uh, stay with us, and we'll be telling you about what those changes are going to be. But in the meantime, go to newstock.com, read our stories, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow our podcasts. They are on iTunes to make it a lot easier so you can download them and listen to them on your daily commutes. Thank you for your time. I know how valuable it is, and I really appreciate you guys listening to me. So thank I am actually recording this on the feast, the feast, <laughs> it should be a feast, on, on the anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, 168 years ago, the concept of Mexican-Americans was born before that day, before they signed that treaty, there was no such thing, so it's kind of apropos that we're talking about this on this day, talking about the Treaty of Guadalupe, I mean, talking about Trump uh, having these threats to send troops into Mexico when uh, we're celebrating the anniversary of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. How ironic is that? Anyway, guys, um, we will see you soon and uh, have a good day. Echenle ganas, and we'll be back next time. Bye.